<laughs> I would be pretty. It would be pretty fun to get to fly out to Philly, and and but the fact that we get to just do it over Zoom, it's so easy to bring people together. Is such a unexpected benefit of the pandemic. How, how did you? Go, I mean, it's a wonderful combination. I. It's very and it's very um, original. The way the way you're presenting it, I, I really enjoy the both the the, the religious the you know Talmudic sources and then to hear the more philosophical sources as well it really brings it together for me yeah um we were undergraduates together we met on our very first day of classes our freshman year at yale and um it was a year like this one actually where the jewish holidays fell out very early so on the first day of classes i was like i need to figure out who the smartest person in class is and then so i can get their notes when i miss all of this class for jewish holidays <laughs> and so after the first class i was like hey quinn i don't know you yet i need your notes and he was like i take horrible notes that are illegible and you can't read them but let's be friends anyways <laughs> All right, it is uh, five, um, sorry, 8 p.m., <laughs> 5 p.m. for me, 8 p.m. for you. Uh, so I want to welcome everyone. Uh, so good to have um, some uh, new faces, I think, with us today, right? And also uh, some faces from last week. Uh, so again, welcome everyone to Drisha's um, Elu Azman classes. And this is the second class in this session on forgiveness in Judaism and philosophy. We encourage you to turn on your video if you are able. It's nice to feel like we're all together in a more traditional class. Uh, also, please feel free to ask uh, questions or uh, make comments by writing in the chat box here on Zoom or as a comment if you're watching us live on Facebook. This class explores forgiveness, what it is and why we should forgive. Over the course of these uh, three uh, sessions, we consider three different conceptions of forgiveness and its place in a life. First, we look at forg forgiveness as a kind of quasi-legal mechanism, a way of wiping clean a cosmic slate marred by wrongdoing. Second, we look at forgiveness as an essentially emotional phenomenon. To forgive is to give up the anger or resentment that one feels towards a wrongdoer removing potential obstacles to one's own healing. And third, we'll look at forgiveness as, as a kind of a tool, a power we have to reshape relationships in the wake of wrongdoing. In the course of considering these three conceptions of forgiveness in Jewish and philosophical text, we'll see that each is a kind of window, not only into a conception of a central Jewish practice, but into the human condition one that seems at once defined by the need of human relationships and the centrality of wrongdoing by us and others. It is my pleasure to introduce Professor Queen White and Rabanit Lasarna. Uh, I believe this will be their second time teaching together. <laughs> uh, Professor White received his um, BA from Yale and his PhD from MIT. He began his positions as assistant professor in the Department of Philosophy at UNL in 2020. His research centers on love and our personal relationships, both of which he argues deserve a central place in our ethical thought. His papers explore questions of honesty and discretion, a secular understanding of the love commandments as a basis for morality, the justification of partiality, uh, the nature of forgiveness and the ethics of paying it forward. Professor White and Ravanit Serna have been dear friends since the first days of their freshman year of college. Ravanit Serna is the 
Sarna is the Associate Director of Education and Director of High School Programs here at Risha. And we love having you with us. And with that, I'll turn this to Professor White and Ravani Sarna. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for the introduction, Evie. Um, we, um, and um, if people want to uh, turn on their cameras so we can actually see you and get, have them feel a little bit more like, a, more like a classroom here, that would be really wonderful. Although, obviously, we understand some people um, have conditions in their houses or their lives that make that not possible this week, but um, it's always better to to be in community that way. Um, and with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Professor White. Great, thanks. Um, so last time we explored this idea that forgiveness was um, akin to, or sort of a, a kind of species of forgiving a debt. So one thing we can do if, you know, if, if I owe you money is you might just forgive that debt. On this kind of conception of what forgiveness is, there's a kind of moral indebtedness a kind of a debt that we incur when we wrong another person. Uh, and one thing that was absent from this picture, um, one thing that especially towards the end of the session, um, we had some of you all sort of rightly pointing out, like, where is this in the, in, the, in the view, is some kind of place for the emotional elements of forgiveness. So what we're gonna do today is ask uh, to what extent is forgiveness a matter of the heart? What role do, do emotions play um, in a picture or an understanding of what we do when we forgive? Um, and as the as uh, Evie's wonderful kind introduction uh, suggested, part of the kind of uh, ulterior motives of asking this question is not only to ask a question about forgiveness, but also to ask questions about what role emotions play in particular emotion of anger, of like morally inflected anger or resentment. Like, what is this thing? Why does it matter to us? Um, and likewise, to sort of explore what window onto the human condition this kind of uh, picture of forgiveness is, is trying to key in on or, or show us. So I wanna open um, with just a reminder of a text that we looked at in, in some greater depth um, last time. And here, and I've, I've emboldened um, the passage uh, that I wanna call our attention to, is a suggestion that here's one good way of forgiving another person. It's forswearing the kind of act of vengeance that you might be owed. Here's this kind of picture of debt. Um, and if you sort of give up that, that claim to vengeance or to some kind of retributive action, then you know, that's, you've kind of done what's necessary. And if you wanna keep some anger or resentment in the heart, you know, that's your prerogative. Um, so I want to open by asking, does that seem like a full kind of forgiveness? Or is that a kind of forgiveness that, you know, either doesn't even qualify for the name, or if it does, sort of only by association or only halfway? So another passage um, that we looked at last time was Moses asking God to at least you know, again, questions of translation, I think, are, are important here. But one way of reading it is Moses is asking God to forgive. And part of what Moses is asking for is for God not to do some things, to actually enact a certain kind of vengeance. But it seems core to what Moses is asking for, not just that God not do something, not just that he forgive some debt and sort of renounce the kind of claim that, that he's owed, 
um, to vengeance, but also to do something essentially emotive or emotional, namely to give up anger. And I think we can sort of try to get a hold of this idea that forgiveness in some way essentially involves anger by trying to imagine cases of, of putative forgiveness that it sort of doesn't involve an emotional shift. So like imagine um, uh, a partner, a spouse, or, or a dear friend betrays you. And you, you, know, you say, look, I, like, I, I forgive you. Like, you know, I'm not gonna get a divorce. We can still see each other for lunch if it's a friend or whatever sort of shape it might be. You, you don't pursue the kind of retributive action that might be warranted. You give up that claim, you forgive that debt, but you carry resentment with you for the rest of your life. I mean, there's a question here, does that even count as forgiveness? And at least those who are partial to this kind of picture are gonna think like, no, whatever that is, there's something that is like debt forgiveness, but there's something real, which is like real full-blooded forgiveness. And that has to in part be a matter of the heart, a change in heart. Another way to kind of get at this picture is imagine, um, imagine that from the other sort of the other side of the, of the relation of wrongdoing. So imagine being someone seeking forgiveness. Would you feel like you got what you wanted if your friend or your partner or a family member or whoever it might be says something like, yeah, I'm not gonna do this thing. I'm not gonna get a divorce, but you, know, you can better believe I'm gonna be angry for the rest of my life. Again, you might think like, well, maybe I got something from this, um, but I'm not sure I really got <laughs> sort of all of what I was hoping for. I'm not sure that, that that's a, a way of being fully forgiven. What cases like this, I think, suggest is that an essential element, if not the whole of forgiveness, is a matter of the heart. That one way that was famously put by um, a sort of great philosopher of the early modern period, Bishop Butler, um, that to forgive is to forswear resentment, or sometimes people think of it as moral anger. And for the sake of, I think there are important maybe differences between these kind of what we call resentment versus what we call anger. For now, I think for today, we're gonna to use these largely interchangeably. But what I mean when I do use the word anger is a kind of distinctively moralized anger, not like the anger you might feel if you're getting beaten in a basketball game and you need to like amp yourself up to play better. Um, but the sort of anger that has that sort of characteristic feeling of, of wrong attached to it, the sort of anger, and we'll come, come back to this example in a minute, that you can't feel towards something like mold or mildew. If you find like mold in your house, you might be ticked, but you can't like be angry at mold. But there is this kind of anger that you can feel towards a person, a kind of anger that comes in the wake of wrongdoing, something that, you know, like I said, also goes under the, the heading of resentment. Um, so the thought here is that what it is to forgive is a kind of like emotional transformation. It's the process of letting go, of, or of the completion of a process of letting go of a distinctive central emotion of resentment or anger in the wake of wrongdoing. And this is a suggestion, I, this is by far, at least in, in English speaking philosophy and in, in sort of secular analytic philosophy, by far the dominant view of what forgiveness is. People have their own sort of spin and take on, on it, but the idea that forgiveness is essentially about giving up anger is um, sort of so common as to be taken for granted in many circles. To understand this view, and I think to sort of really get into it, see what we can make of it, I wanna ask um, some, some key questions to guide our discussion. 
So in the first place, it seems like forgiveness is really important. Something that we do a lot, something that we give a lot of attention to, um, plays a role in our relationships with other people. It plays a role in a relationship with God. Why, if this is what forgiveness is, like why would forgiveness be that important? Well, it would have to be because something about anger is important. There's something sort of that we need to understand about what anger is um, that we're gonna need to, to get in view in order to get ourselves into the headspace of this kind of understand the, this picture. So the first question I wanna ask is just what is anger or resentment such that it plays this kind of important role? Why is it the sort of thing that we should care about trying to get rid of? Why is it the sort of thing that arises distinctly to wrongdoing and not to so finding some mold in your bathroom? Um, again, we're supposing that the mold isn't there because it's someone's fault. You could definitely be mad at, you know, you're, you know the person who, who never runs the fan in the, in, the, in the bathroom because that's what created the mold or something. You can't be mad at the mold. And then the second question I think that this raises is how, if this is what forgiveness is, how is it even something that we can do? So it's very easy to think about how we can forgive a debt. You know, I can do it like this. Don't worry about it. It's done. Um, you know, maybe if it's, if it's a monetary debt, maybe there's some paper I need to sign, but sort of there's no deep puzzle about the kind of normative power that we have to let other people out of what they owe us. So if I'm owed vengeance, it's very easy to see how I can get rid of it. I can just say, forget about it. I renounce my claim. I forgive you. We don't have that kind of control over our emotions. If only, you know, like, if, as I said last time, if only it were so simple, if only I could get rid of my anger by saying, I'm no longer angry at you. I renounce my anger, but that's not how things work. It does seem like forgiveness is something that we have control over. It's not so clear that anger is something that we have direct control over. So if we want to understand how sort of we can forgive and what it is to forgive, we're going to need to understand how we can, how we can do it. Um, and that again will require a kind of a picture of anger um, that I'm gonna, gonna, gonna be presenting. So to start off um, on this question about emotion, I wanna begin with a kind of often, um, and I think deeply mistaken picture. So sometimes, quite frequently, emotions are contrasted with reason. There's a kind of picture wherein, um, you know, we, when we're, when we're thinking clearly, when we're reasoning, when we're deciding what to do, um, when we're deliberating, when we're acting um, in, in the way that's paradigmatic of, you know, the good philosopher or something like that, that is sort of anti-emotional. Emotions are these things that come and they corrupt. Um, they're, they're sort of force that buffets us, that can push us astray, that lead, leads us away from some kind of process of reasoning. And I wanna start just by suggesting that that clearly is a mistake because it seems like so much, especially when it comes to our moral reasoning, our engagement with others, so much of the source material that we take comes from our emotions. It seems like, you know, how do we know what we should care about? How do we know what we should do? Well, one thing is like, what are we angry about? That's often a pretty good place to start to think about like what in the world warrants anger? Well, those might be things that deserve our attention. And this sort of picture, Emotions are not just forces that buffet us. They're not some kind of like internal storm. Emotions in some way that's quite complicated, that's difficult, seem to be tied together with reasons. One way to think that this is, you know, at least plausible 
is to think that, or to notice the idea that we can have reason to feel an emotion. Or another way of putting it, so maybe a more normal way of putting it in, in English is an emotion can be appropriate or inappropriate. So imagine, um, you know, it, it's the um, it's the first day of this of the session, and I'm I'm really afraid because I think, you know, I don't know these students. I've never met them. What if they just try to tear me apart? And you know, I'm really I'm really anxious. I'm I'm afraid of this class. It seems like a pretty normal thing that like Leah might say to me, you have no reason to be afraid of this. Like that, that fear is misplaced. Well, what is that? That's a suggestion that something like fear, an emotion is beholden to a kind of normative standard. There's such a thing as misplaced fear and there's such a thing as sort of well-placed fear. If I'm facing some kind of disastrous danger and I'm, you know, couldn't, couldn't have a care in the world. It seems like likewise fear might be called for. Like, what, what am I doing being so blithe about the fact that there's a, a guy with a gun at my door? Like, oh, now, now it's time to be afraid. And so too with something like anger, at least I wanna suggest that that might be right. I think this is, you know, anger is an, is an emotion that I think a lot of us struggle with, sort of when is anger appropriate, inappropriate? One suggestion is that certain kinds of, certain things that can happen to us call for anger. Anger can be made appropriate. It can be made warranted. We can have reasons to be angry. And paradigmatic among those reasons, among those situations that might make anger called for is wrongdoing. To be wronged or to see someone else be wronged. That anger is an appropriate response. Now, I think this is something that, like I said, is, is something that we struggle with because there's another, I think, very powerful um, thread in Jewish thought in the analytic Western tradition that anger is something that sort of is always bad in some sense, that it's something to be avoided at least, that we should overcome anger. Anger is something to be transcended. And so um, I'm gonna hand things over to Leah and I wanna start our discussion, we're gonna return to forgiveness sort of squarely in a bit, but I wanna start our discussion by thinking about anger and asking this question sort of, should we be angry? Uh, when, if ever, is anger appropriate? And then we'll sort of pick back up into the question of, you know, if anger is sometimes appropriate, does it make sense to think of as, as forgiveness as some kind of letting go of, of anger? Okay, so we are going to dive into a text that I think everyone is very familiar with, and maybe one of the ones that at the time in our liturgical year where we recite it, and I know this is the inappropriate time to be talking about this particular piece of liturgy, but we're going to be talking about the Haggadah, and by the way, if you're not following along in our handout, um, in our source sheet, now would be the time to pull that up, maybe Evie can drop it into the chat one more time. Um, and the source I want to talk about when we talk about anger is so it's a quote from Psalm 97 and we recite it right after the meal at the Passover say there and we recite it when we open the door to Elijah and then we say um, welcome in Elijah and here's our here's our prayer as we welcome in Elijah um, pour your wrath upon the nations that do not know you and upon the kingdoms that do not 
call upon your name since they have consumed Jacob and laid waste to his habitation. And then we mash that up with Psalm 69. Um, Pour out your fury upon them and the fierceness of your anger shall reach them. Pursue them with anger, eradicate them from under the skies of the Lord. So we have this, um, and we actually have have all these all these great words for um, for anger, right? So if you go through in the Hebrew, we have all these, and and, and you can kind of tell. And you no, know, they say this about um, about like other languages, like oh, the French have so many different words for love, or like Eskimos have so many different words for snow. So like in biblical Hebrew, we have so many different words for anger. So we have chima. Um, za'am, haron af, um, and right, and then af again, right? So you have, you, have, you have three or four different words or terms for anger all appearing in this one little, um, in this one little portion. And it's not just like often when we're reading the Bible, so we see, you know, God got angry. Um, but here we're actually praying for God to get angry, which, which feels quite different. And I, I'm wondering. Um, in terms of this question about like, is prayer, is anger, sorry, is anger always wrong, something to be transcended, or are there circumstances that can warrant anger? Um, when you, when you kind of read, when you recite this liturgy, um, how does this, how does this, how does this feel to you? Where do you, and where do you sit on that, on that question that, that Quinn just laid out? So if people want to either put into the chat or just unmute and share an opinion for a second. Um, that would be, now's the time. Oh, someone raised their hand. Chaya, yeah, please. Um, this is not exactly an opinion, but I know like the Old Testament gets a lot of, uh, sorry, I can't turn on my video. For some reason, my camera's not working, but um, I know the Old Testament gets a lot of like bad PR and flack for being like the angry one. And then the New Testament is like the nice one. And I feel like I've heard a lot of people be like, oh yeah, the Old Testament God, he's so like mean and angry all the time. Um, which again, it's not really an opinion, but I think there's like that idea floating in the world that like, which I guess you could, it's also just not so pleasant to be reading all those, like, especially like we just read Kitavo. It's like not fun to read, but that doesn't mean it's like morally problematic. It means that we don't like being told we're bad and gonna get it. Um, so yeah, not really a value judgment, just like a sort of PR thing. Well, it seems like it seems like in this question of which I'll say again, like is there are there circumstances which warrant anger, or is anger always wrong? It seems like you're on team. There are circumstances that warrant anger, and those circumstances happen to arise a lot in the five books of Moses, and that's why God's really angry a lot of the time. Um, that that seems like. A, I don't know, but maybe you can tell me if I'm if I'm misreading your uh, your if I'm misrepresenting you. But that kind of no, I like think that sounds saying. about right. Like I wasn't being so definitive about it, but I would agree that like I think it's more of a like I don't know. Like you'd have to go through like case by case, I guess. But I think most of the time it's like earned and like what are you gonna do about it? I guess I, if I had to choose a side, I would say that. Right, Ron. I saw your your hand go up next. Okay, you're muted. Hold on. I don't hear you. Are you able to mute? Okay, take it away. Now I hear you. Yeah. You go back to Shafok Hamasra. And you isn't is that not justified anger? We feel funny with it sometimes. In fact, I know that there's 
Some people suggest a alternative version. Uh, but for the medieval Jew uh, who was persecuted, and we read so much of that in the Slichot, it's, you know, why isn't that justified anger? It's a natural outburst of, so you have to look maybe at the context of, of course, Shafok HaMascha and, and of any anger. When does the, when it goes back to that question, when is the anger justified or not? If somebody's torturing me, do I have, or did torture me, have I no right to be angry? Is that something I should be able to transcend or something I should be able to put away? At least that's as much as I want to say right now. Ron, can I ask you a question though? Because when we say shvulchamacha, we're asking, we're saying to God, God, I want you to get angry. But then what does that say about um, me as a person? Am I supposed to get angry? Or is my anger actually useless? And really, I just want God to get angry on my behalf. And God's anger can be justified, but maybe my anger can't be. I think, I think Shul Chama, I don't know, in my opinion, and I'm interested to hear yours, like possibly Shul Chama can hold that idea that still there's no justification for human anger because human anger doesn't get you anywhere, but God, God's the one who's supposed to get angry. Interesting view. Okay, Lisa, I think I see your hand also. Um, so about the, uh, the, the anger, God's anger and the Psalms more in general, it's the retribution that I think always affects me, you know, so it's the God's often angry about the right things. Um, but it's the calls that everybody should be wiped out, you know, all these all these calls for retribution that I think always strike me as being, uh, um, I don't know what the word is, but retributive. Strong. Strong. Yeah, a little, little over the top. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally hear it. Chaya, I think I see your hand back up. Yeah, me again. Sorry. Ron just made me think of something, which is that sometimes like I read these things, especially things from like earlier generations of Jews who suffered through like terrible anti-Semitism. And then they write, I'm so sorry, but um, um, they write these things, which sometimes like give me pause. I find them a little upset because they seem so like, Goyphobic or whatever you want to call it, and they're like, kill them all, kill their babies. And I'm like, no, don't kill babies. That's terrible. You know, and my first inclination is, or like to make like blanket statements of like, they're all so terrible and murderous. And my first inclination is like, no, that's bad. That's not us. That's not what we do. But then sometimes I feel like I, living in the first century, the 21st century, I've never experienced that kind of anti Semitism. And I, it also bothers me when other people say things about the Holocaust and they're like, it's time for forgiveness. And I'm like, you don't get to say that. Like you weren't there. It's not up to me or to you to like decide that someone else's suffering can be let go of, you know? So sometimes I feel like that judgment of like, oh, be so like pluralistic and tolerant. It's like, you don't get to be tolerant on behalf of other people's suffering and victimhood. So that's just wrong reason for that. I love that. And I'm going to throw that back to Quinn, but maybe we'll wait for a minute on it. But this idea of like, can I forgive on behalf of someone else? Can I like relieve, can I release um, like warranted nationwide anger? I think is, is a really big question in this. Um, can I just flag one thing really quick? Um, so one of the things that I think both, both the comments from, from Chaya and Ron are, are bringing out is like, there is this question one, one way of asking, one of the questions that I've raised is, you know, what is it to forgive? There's another question, which is like, you know, 
what is the kind of normative status of forgiveness? Is it required? Is it a mis is forgiveness a mistake? Like when should we forgive? So hold hold that thought. Sort of, um, you can both think that forgiveness is letting go of anger, and think that you know you know in this case you just shouldn't forgive. It's exactly because forgiveness is letting go of anger that forgiveness, in this case, is inappropriate, or maybe in this case is appropriate. So sort of hold hold hold, hold that um, sort of in in view as a as an important question. Yeah, and, and Lisa in the chat just really added to that, right? Is murder, much less genocide, even forgivable? Which I think is exactly what Quinn was just saying. Like you could have a definition of forgiveness and then say, yeah, and this situation does not meet that definition categorically. And I think that's 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 definitely possible. Um, and, and fitting with the human, like natural, like, I don't know, like, like kind of like a natural human truth of like what forgiveness even kind of feels like. Like, I think we do kind of feel like there are certain like unforgivable uh, things in a certain way. Um, okay, I, I wanna, so Jewish texts on anger kind of span the gamut. And I do just wanna go jump now to Maimonides who brings, I mean, in this first piece from um, Hilfo Deo, from his human dispositions, um, writing from, from the Mishnah Torah, he, um, he basically is quoting Aristotle, meaning anyone who's ever read Aristotle, this will sound very familiar. <laughs> um, so he says, um, there's, a, there's a straight path, there's a derech hayashara, and that is the midah benomit, that is the, the mean disposition, the middle path, the middle disposition um, between each, each tendency. So what, what Maimonides does is he'll lay out like a tendency and it's or an inclination or a trait, a trait, um, and kind of its opposite trait. Um, and we see this pop up even in earlier um, kinds of, even in earlier Jewish literature, you know, possibly from before even Aristotle, but Maimonides um, is using this very like Aristotelian language. Um, okay, and so he says, So what's the, the middle, what's the mean disposition? It's the one that's equally distant from the two opposing dispositions. Um, it's not super close to one or the other. So the well-balanced soul, the person who's, who's complete in, in body, sound in body is what the translation has here, is someone who has pursued the middle path, that intermediate way um, in all things. And what is one of his examples? So, right, Ketan, what does this mean, says Maimonides? Don't be an excitable person who is easy to anger. And don't be like a dead person who doesn't have feelings. Take the middle course. And what does that mean? Don't become angry except for something big that's like really worth being angry about. And what's something really big to be angry about? It's something that if you don't get angry about it, it'll be repeated again. So then your anger in that situation is specific and important. So it's not that you should be totally like flat, never get, never have emotions, never get angry about anything. No, you should just have anger that is, and that's this language we've been using, anger that is 
warranted as opposed to someone who like springs to anger um, at the slightest, um, at, 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 you know, uh, who, um, at, the, at the slightest prodding and is, um, and is kind of angry all the time. That's, you have to find a middle path between someone who is a bal chema, like a fiery person, an angry, but fiery in a bad way, um, like an angry person and, um, and, and someone who is dead, um, says, says Maimonides. And this is how he lays out, like this is his number one example of somebody of, of how to find this like middle path is about anger. So this seems like, okay, it's not like 100% always good to be angry. Sometimes it's bad to be angry, but there's definitely a situation in which anger is warranted. Says my Maimonides here. Um, okay, we got a comment from Steve that is actually very interesting, just wanna point out. Wondering if you're gonna address anger versus wrath. In biblical terms, it seems like it was very easy to anger God and many faced his wrath, there were no second chances. In human terms, we always want to forgive and we want to get past anger. Good. So it seems like anger is the emotion and wrath is like the action you take based on that anger. Um, so I, I want to um, just to like label those terms a little bit and see you can either pipe in or, or point out whether you disagree with my definition of wrath. Uh, yeah, Ron, please. You're muted again. Sorry. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back just a little bit. You seem, as we talk about Maimonides, you talk about Maimonides and the middle path, seems very far from what Professor Quinn was suggesting. Professor White, uh, uh, Quinn White, um, he was suggesting something much further, a, a forgiveness which was deeper, a forgiveness which would even maybe deal with uh, something that you might not necessarily feel you should forgive. At least that's how I understood him. Uh, whereas you're talking about middle path is something very different it seems to me, appropriate anger, not so appropriate anger. Yes, we would all, I think, agree that just somebody who's wrathful all the time, or sorry about the word, angry all the time, or aroused immediately, that's, that's, that's not good. But where is, where is Maimonides in comparison to what Professor White was seeming to push us toward? Well, I, I, can, can, I, can I jump in on this? So there, there's one, it depends a lot. We've, we've organized this class around sort of three, what we're calling three views, which is really a lie, because it's three approaches, each of which admits of many, many, many different views within its sort of, you know, the family. And there are, and I'll touch on this a little bit at the end a little more, but there are versions of these, there are people who think forgiveness is a matter of the heart, who say, and you should always forgive. Um, it's not an accident that these are folks who, even if they're writing in a kind of analytic secular tradition, are very influenced by Christian ideas about forgiveness. Um, and they have some sort of suggestions about why, even in a case that seems on its face unforgivable, um, you should nevertheless sort of transcend and forgive. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But then I think there are other people who think, no, that's not, they're sort of on board with Maimonides. And they think there are times when anger is called for and times when anger is not called for. In some cases, forgiveness is called for and others, it's not called for. Um, so I think both, there's one question is, is forgiveness essentially about moral, sort of a, a moral emotional transformation? There are lots of people who say yes. And then there is, there's a further kind of division. Some people think, yeah, and you should do it all the time, constantly. Maybe, you know, because Jesus said to, and because, you know, that's a kind of core moral ideal. And there are others who think, no, 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 murder and genocide, let's not, let's not forgive those things. But there are other things that we should forgive. 
And then there's a kind of important question of, of when, if it's not always, when is forgiveness appropriate? So I think both of these are sort of possible views. Um, and at least I was hoping not to, to be too much of a partisan of, of either one just yet. Um, Okay, Lisa, I want to hold on your question for just one second because I want to look at, we haven't actually seen all, all of the all of the Maimonides that I want to put in front of you. And, and I want to get to your question after we see this next section, if that's okay. Um, okay, so this next section is just from like a chapter later within the same work. We're talking about the same concept. So he, because he just laid out right at the beginning, you should always go in this, in this like Benoni, this middle way, right? And then he says in chapter two, he says, Oh, but there are certain tendencies, there are certain virtues, one might say, which you're not allowed to follow this middle way. There's actually certain things where the middle way is wrong. And this is where Maimonides like really takes the reins and kind of goes against Aristotle. Um, and partly because of what he's reading in rabbinic literature, which he'll, we might not give the minutes to all of his quotes, but I'll, I'll say it outside if you don't. So he says, There are certain traits which you're forbidden to follow the middle way. You should distance yourself from one extreme and go all the way to the other extreme so that you're maximally distanced from it. And one of them that he lists is anger, which is so funny because when he was describing a chapter ago what the middle path was, his ideal circumstance was anger. And now he's saying almost the opposite. He's saying, you should teach yourself not to get angry. Even over a matter which befits anger. So, that's a very interesting concept because he's still saying sometimes it's appropriate to act with anger, but he says it's not appropriate to feel anger. So what should happen, and I think just to spell out what he's recommending, there's some sort of ideal world in which you see a situation and you say, ah, in this situation, one should get angry so that, oh, so his next line explains what a situation would be, right? So if you want to, you want to engender awe in your children or your household, or if you're, um, if you're a, a Parnas, if you're like an important person in the community, and then you want to, uh, you want to teach the community some important lesson, then you could say, oh, anger, is, is warranted in this circumstance and is um, and it will actually like do something if I if I show people that I'm angry at them. Um, so he says you should act in anger, but really what he right, really I'm just sk skipping a few um, few lines here. So he should he should present himself to them as if he is angry. But in order to reprove them, but but inside himself, his disposition should remain calm. As a person who is imitating, he's just 
pretending to be angry in this situation because he thinks anger is warranted and anger will get him somewhere, but actually he's not actually angry on the inside. And where my mom is coming from here are what, we're not gonna look at them inside, but he, he brings all of these quotes from rabbinic literature that says, you know, a prophet who is angry loses his, his, his ability to prophesy. Um, someone who's angry, it's as if they're worshiping idolatry. Um, and I would just say that there's lots of other people who read those same sources and don't come to the same conclusion that Maimonides does. Like that, the, the, the Talmud in, in Tractate Shabbat, um, which is where it says that if you, um, if you, he who yields to anger, it's as if he worshiped idolatry. Um, so what um, Rav Cook says about that is like, it's impossible that God created us with the capability to have anger and like there's no and you're supposed to get rid of it like no every emotion that you have has a place in this world and really like the way he reads the Talma there in um in 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 Aya, which is his um, commentary on the Talmud is um is that um if you just like follow your your anger wherever it takes you as opposed to like saying I'm angry right now is it warranted is it correct should I do it so if you follow your anger wherever it takes you then you're a slave to your anger and obviously you shouldn't be that but there's still like something right about feeling angry sometimes says Rav Kook. but that's doesn't seem here like where where Maimonides is going, or it seems here where Maimonides is going is you can always choose to let go of your anger and you should always choose to let go of your anger. And the way that like, and obviously, um, Quinn, you know more about this than I do, but like the way that virtue ethics typically works is like you practice something enough times and then that becomes who you are. So you practice letting go of your anger immediately enough times and all of a sudden you're a person who lets go of their anger immediately, aka you're a person who doesn't feel angry. So that's, um, I think that's like my mommy's ideal for you based on this rabbinic literature is to kind of violate this like middle path um, for, for the, um, with, with, with anger as one of his exceptions. And you, should, you feel anger and you immediately, and you immediately release it even, and um, even as you're immediately releasing it, um, sometimes you'll still act on it, but not, but as, as someone who's pretending um, to feel angry. Um, right, so Chaya says, we do call that being forgiving. So that's an interesting thing to say because being forgiving with um, what kind of like time elapse? Um, <laughs> I think that's really the question. Yeah. No, that's not even what I meant. I was in response to someone who said, like, if you never got angry in the first place, is that forgiveness? And I was saying, but you say, like, someone has a very forgiving personality if they never got annoyed in the first place. That's what I meant. Oh, I see. Okay, Quinn, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to suggest, so I think it, that there is an, a, it, it seems at least like good English to say that, that that person is forgiving. Like, the English word forgiving seems like it has application here. But you might think that there is this kind of subtle distinction between being forgiving and being someone for whom forgiveness wasn't necessary in the first place. So imagine, imagine you, you know, you you do something and, and you ask for my forgiveness and I say, no, 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 there's nothing to forgive. So you might think, I, I think there are different ways this text, of course, admits of different different readings. One, one thing that you could think Maimonides is doing is saying, you know, like any person who's read his Aristotle, you should recognize that some situations call for anger. And the important thing to do is cultivate a disposition to let it go. And then I think really would be a kind of a case of being forgiving, where like, you know, be angry and then like some minimal amount of time elapses and you let it go. 
Um, and that, if, if forgiveness is letting go of anger, then, but if Maimonides is instead saying like, no, you shouldn't even feel it in the first place. Maybe that is a, a sort of close cousin of being forgiving, or maybe it is being forgiving, but maybe it's something sort of interestingly different, which is sort of, you know, being someone for whom forgiveness isn't even a part of the story. Like, you, you know, you, you skip that step. Um, so I think, yeah, different ways of, of, of reading this. Um, yeah, totally, Stacy. So I almost feel like the latter reading that Professor Quinn just brought up is almost like Buddhist or something that, you know, you yeah. really like are sort of disassociating and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel so Jewish to me. Like, I don't know. And like last week, and I don't want to get all political, but I read like this great column by Paul Krugman in the Times recently. And he talked about like the righteousness of the the angry righteousness of sort of people with the vaccinations and whatnot and sort of. Yeah there was like a he was really arguing for a position of people being angry and justifiably angry and and it kind of fed into sort of all of this like there seem to be places i think probably where anger is justified like when when the naveen get angry they're angry with the people for good reason i don't know naveen are prophets oh sorry <laughs> that's probably for my benefit thank you <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. So maybe can I can I run with that into the next the next section, Leah? Is it all right if we so so what I want to do is I think leave open this question of like a what is Maimonides saying in the second of the two passages such that it's consistent with the first, um, and the second thing I want to leave open is sort of you know this idea that like you know there there are these different understandings of what anger is about and whether there's a place for it in a life. And I wanna present sort of drawing on um, a kind of tradition that's especially associated with a philosopher named uh, P.F. Strawson, um, a picture which fits exactly um, what Stacy you're saying that sometimes anger is justified. How can we square that with a conception wherein forgiveness can sometimes be appropriate? Um, and I wanna sort of then close by using this picture to make sense of questions about like when, if ever we should forgive. So here's a little more about this, you know, one very influential, not by any means universal, but a very influential understanding of, of, of emotions, or at least of, of this core set of emotions that sometimes go under the heading of, of reactive attitudes. The thought is that our emotions and our judgments, you know, our reason, are essentially linked. And here's one of the essential links that what distinguishes an emotion of, of at least certain kinds of emotions from its neighbors, from its relatives, is that it's constituted by a certain judgment. So you can imagine having the kind of, the feeling of resentment or anger at mold. You know, I sometimes feel that, I have felt that in like my previous apartment, but it's not, it's, there's a way in which that's not real resentment. That's not real anger. Why not? Well, because it's missing one of the sort of essential pieces of real resentment. Real resentment essentially involves judging that that, that person or that agent um, wronged me. It's, it's sort of, that's what makes it resentment instead of sort of undirected rage or the sort of fury that someone like, you know, Michael Jordan was really good at concocting just to play good basketball. Um, you know, the, 
great, if you haven't seen the document, the Michael Jordan documentary, really fantastic. But he was really good at sort of like making up reasons to be mad because it would motivate him to play really well. That wasn't real resentment. Um, or maybe if it was, it was because he was sort of knowingly self-deceiving himself into, you know, seeing a grievance or something like that. But real resentment involves this judgment, and that's how we can distinguish it from its from its relatives. And so too for other kinds of emotions. So, you know, sometimes people say, like, what's the difference between, you know, wanting something and being jealous? Well, it seems to, part of what makes it jealous is like this feeling of what, well, the fact that that he has it means that I don't have it. And, you know, I, I see something connected about you're having it and my wanting it and not getting it. That's what that's the difference between jealousy and, and desire. So the idea is that some of these attitudes they, they build in a kind of judgment. And that judgment that they build in is part of what establishes the normative standards for when they're called for and when they're not called for. So here's the thought: if it's not the whole of anger, but if essential to anger is a judgment that I was wronged. And it seems like part of what establishes whether or not anger is appropriate is sort of whether that judgment is appropriate. If, you know, one of you helpfully, you know, makes some great point that disagrees with what I say, and I go to, to lay after class, and I'm like, I'm really mad that I was just, you know, someone was disagreeing with me, that would be unwarranted, because it wasn't true that I was wronged. And likewise, the thought is, you know, anger is the sort of thing that is warranted when it's wrong. And you might think sort of there's something wrong with you if you don't feel anger when the constitutive judgment, sort of the, the judgment that establishes anger is present and, and the sort of emotional valence is not. And I think at least in some cases that seems, that seems quite right. You know, imagine sort of seeing a grotesque abuse of another human and being emotionally deadened at it. That seems sort of itself inappropriate. Now, on this sort of picture, oh, let me just read Matthew's question. That's a really, so Matthew's question, does the judgment of a reactive attitude also involve a kind of judgment about what comes next, sort of what action on my part as the angry person is appropriate? I think some people say yes, some people say no. And one way of uniting, let me just sort of briefly gesture at this, one way of uniting some of yesterday's and today's, or not yesterday's, last week's and this week's picture of forgiveness is to think that anger constitutively involves a judgment that vengeance is warranted. So there is a way of sort of bringing these things together that what it is to be angry is to feel wronged and to think that, you know, now I'm justified in doing something about it. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to settle that question or, or really even Offer, offer any reasons to go one way or another. Um, I'll just say, yes, I think that's a really plausible, that's a plausible thought. And I, I think it's also Bishop Butler, um, this, this Christian um, who has a lot of the central texts about forgiveness that people really like, he seemed to think that. He seems to think that resentment involves not just a judgment that you were wronged, but a kind of recognition that a certain kind of reaction is now appropriate on your part. Um, and I think one thing that's really important is when we recognize that emotions are connected with judgment, we start to see that a certain kind of control, and I don't mean control as in I can turn it on or off, but a kind of agency or ownership or self-authorship of our emotions makes sense. And I mean that in the following way, sort of it's, it's in some important way, my judgment that I have been wronged. That's a judgment that sort of I'm responsible for, responsible for in the way that we're responsible for all kinds of judgments we make. And if that's right, 
then, then anger isn't just something that happens to us. It's not like a kind of internal force. It's a reflection of a deep part of our agency, a sort of something that we exercise a kind of control over in as much as we exercise control over our judgments. And that, I'm gonna sort of, that's gonna be key in trying to understand what it is to, how it is that we can, we can go about forgiving someone. The other thing that I just wanna flag is that the kind of specific species of anger or of resentment that I'm pulling on has this element that I, that I emphasized from last session that in that it's bipolar. So again, sort of technical term, but what I mean by this is it's, a, it's an emotion that relates to poles, you and the thing you're angry at, the thing you're angry with, Perhaps even there's a third pole, which is what it is that you're angry about or for. And so there's a, anger is not, at least the kind of anger that seems to be central to this phenomenon of wrongdoing and reactive attitudes and possibly forgiveness as well, isn't just a kind of undirected rage. It's, I'm angry at you for lying to me. I'm angry that you betrayed me. It's that you did something to me. And so that's, I think, really central to this, this core feature of forgiveness that we touched on last time, which is that whatever is going on with forgiveness, it's one thing to sort of get forgiveness from God for something that I did. It's another thing to get forgiveness from the person whom I wronged. And if anger is this kind of, anger still has this bipolarity, this relation, I think that makes sense of that same sort of question we raised last time, which is, you know, if I wrong Leah, sort of, there's one thing which is the anger she feels towards me. And there's another thing which might be the anger that God feels towards me. And I'm on the hook for kind of, for asking for forgiveness for both of these normative relations that I stand in, these, these anger relations. So with this kind of picture in mind, I think we can start to, to get a, a sense of what forgiveness is. It's coming to give up a judgment that sort of anger is called for. So. In the wake of wrongdoing, I judge that so I was wronged, Leah has wronged me, whatever it might be, and I'm angry with her. My anger is made appropriate by a certain kind of judgment, a judgment that's essentially connected with what anger is. And to forgive is to withdraw that anger. How can I do that? Well, I can't just like flip my emotions on and off, but what I can do is give up some judgment that constitutes the anger. Now here's a kind of puzzle that emerges on this picture. You might think what I just described seems sort of nonsensical because it seems like if that's, what, if that's what anger is and forgiveness is supposed to be giving up anger, then how could it ever be appropriate? How could it ever be the thing to do? Here's one way to sort of bring out what's, what's so weird here. It's sort of either the hurt that someone caused me warrants anger or it doesn't. Either it's sort of a wrong whose judgment justifies being angry or it's not, a, it's not something that really is wrong. If it does justify being angry, then how could I give up the judgment that I was wrong and thereby let go of forgiveness? And if I can, or, or and let go of anger. On the other hand, if I can let go of the anger, doesn't that just mean I shouldn't have been angry in the first place? That whatever judgment sort of justifies, um, you know, being angry wasn't called for. Now, you might think, yes, and I think there's a certain kind of strand of Christian thought which says, yes, this is exactly right. This is what's so sort of magical and transcendent about forgiveness. It, it sort of escapes rationality in some way, and we're called to it as a way of sort of, yeah, there, there's something deeply, it's a kind of mistake that you should be making. Um, you know, it, when anger is called for, there's something transcendent about forgiving. 
But I think there's another way of sort of making sense of forgiveness that doesn't involve buying into some picture of transcendent mistakes. And it's the idea that there could be something that happens that warrants or justifies giving up anger, even if what you did was wrong, or sorry, what, what was done was wrong. And what would be this thing? Well, the paradigm would be something like apology or reparation or restitution. So here's the picture. Anger is sensitive now, not just to sort of whatever this emotion is, resentment or anger, it can be, um, it can be made appropriate to let go of anger because someone has apologized, because someone has owned a kind of wrong that they've done. So the thought here is one on which it's, it's sort of essential to the picture that anger is justified in at least some cases. And when is it okay to let go of something that's justified? Well, when there's something else that sort of contravenes that initial justification, maybe a change in the circumstance like apology or, or retribution. So here's one, here's one sort of particular flavor of this of the story um, relating to something I mentioned um, last week. If um, to be wronged is to have kind of it, it's to have my my value as a person, my dignity as a person under threat or under siege. It's to have it be um, be disregarded. Or maybe I'm, I'm angry on behalf of someone else. Well, what is it to apologize? It's in part to sort of, rec if it's for the wrongdoer to say, look, what, what I did was wrong. I recognize that you have a kind of dignity to what, that, I've, that I've wronged, that I've affronted. And that seems like exactly the kind of thing that could make it warranted to no longer need to take the stand that anger has us take. Sort of, I don't have to make a protest against this wrongdoing if the wrongdoer has acknowledged that the wrong was in fact inappropriate, was wrong. Now on this kind of picture, um, there's still a question which is like, why forgive? I think in general, we forgive because on this sort of picture, anger is this essential human emotion. We all, we, like we make mistakes. That seems like a sort of a deep feature of the human condition is that we screw up. It seems appropriate, at least for some screw ups to be angry. But we need this kind of tool to get rid of this thing. Sometimes we don't want to be angry. And so there are certain conditions, you know, conditions like apology, like gathering friends and making restitution three times and, you know, whatever it might be, whatever sort of practice or ritual um, is, is sufficient to communicate recognition that what was done was wrong, that we have this power to then renounce the anger in recognition of the fact that it's no longer needed, sort of it's no longer, it's no longer necessary. And in a particular case, the thought is that sort of it's going to be case by case. You know, is has what's done is that enough to justify to justify giving up the anger? And as I mentioned, I think some, especially Christian influenced philosophers, think yeah, in every case, there's something that could justify giving up the anger. One plausible thought might be like a recognition of our common humanity or a recognition that each of us is flawed. And other people think. No, sort of they like they like a piece of this picture, this idea of anger and giving up anger, but they think there are going to be some cases, some circumstances in which giving up the anger that was called for has now been made appropriate and other cases in which it's not appropriate. Anger is still the thing to hold on to. Um, and maybe there are some wrongs like murder, some kinds of assault, 
genocide for which there is no kind of reparation that could be possible, no apology that could ever sort of make it appropriate to let go of the anger. But here's the sort of conceptual framework within which um, these questions can be asked. The question of, should I forgive, is the question, should I let go of anger? Where anger isn't just a kind of internal force, but an emotion with moral content that, that's telling us something real. And the question is like, sort of put metaphorically, do I still need to listen to what anger is telling me or is it okay to move on? Um, okay, so that's all I have to say. Um, I just wanna briefly respond to something that, that Chaya said. I think that one way of linking sort of, as I mentioned at the start, these are not necessarily exclusive views. One way of bringing together last week's idea of debt forgiveness and this week's idea is exactly what Chaya has suggested in the chat. That to, if anger is a recognition of a sort of moral, of an unpaid moral debt, <laughs> forgiveness is the recognition that that, 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 that that debt has been paid and the kind of um, constitutive moral shift that comes with that judgment. Of course, that shift might take time. It's not like we can just you know, judge something and then the anger necessarily instantly follows. But insofar as our emotions are in keeping with our judgments, that it will, it will follow that the anger dissipates. Um, now Jennifer asks a really interesting question. Can there be something, some change in circumstance that isn't an apology? Could it be something internal? And I think what I want to do is just sort of turn the question back to you all, which is, yeah, I think that is a question to ask. Could there be, could there be some something that could warrant giving up anger that isn't an apology? And like I said, in, in the philosophical tradition, tradition, some people say yes, and some people say no. Some people say yes, because there might just be something essential about who we are um, that sort of warrants, you know, whatever mistakes you've made, I know there's some kind of internal goodness in you, you who have wronged me, or whatever mistakes you made, I know that I too make mistakes. Or sometimes people make a suggestion, which I think is quite powerful, which is maybe in forgiving you, I can help you be the sort of person who's in a position to apologize, to like recognize what you've done. There's a kind of um, proactive or like sort of future directed proleptic forgiveness. So, and other people think, no, sort of, it really takes an apology because only an apology is the kind of thing or some version of apology, whatever sort of form it takes. Only that is the sort of thing that can neutralize the fact that warrants anger in the first place. Um, sort of, if I'm on the hook for thinking that anger is justified and unjustified, then I have to have a justification for letting it go. And the only justification is something like apology. Um, unless it's, you know, a child or a dog or mold, which, you know, the anger shouldn't have been there in, in the first place. Um, yeah. So I'm happy to stick around and answer any further questions, but it is, it is 8.02. So I want to recognize that our official time is, is past. Does anyone have any questions? Uh, feel free to unmute or uh, ask them in the chat if you'd like. And if not, then we can, uh, there you go. Uh, Chaya, go ahead. Uh, hi, it's me again. Um, um, I was, I actually, I've been reading a lot of like stoic philosophy recently and also being in therapy. And the combination made me really think like a lot of the stuff I'm reading from the stoics seems really emotionally unhealthy from a, like a modern lens, which I think is kind of like related to what you were saying of like, if it doesn't make sense, then don't be angry and stuff. Um, and sometimes I read these things where it's like, 
you can't help anything by being sad. So just stop being sad, which like really just sounds very emotionally repressive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, not exactly a question, but um, can you like comment on the sort of tension between like wanting to do like the rational correct thing and like being honest about your emotions and the sort of emotional and irrational component of anger? Yeah, well, I think that one, like I really, I find quite implausible any view, and I think that that at least certain readings of the Stoics are going to be implausible in exactly this way, that fails to recognize how central our emotions are um, to like making sense of our situation, of our lives. They're essential to our moral reasoning, and so it's sort of obviously there. We're all in situations in one form or another where we're trying to manage our emotions into a healthier position, but I think that sort of the the picture or the, the family of views that I'm, I'm presenting here as a kind of, you know, take take them or leave them. Um, I, in fact, we'll, we'll see this next week. I actually don't like this picture very much myself, but um, one thing that I think is really good about it is this idea that like anger, anger has a place. Anger is called for, but there's also this, this thought that like, you don't have to stick around with it forever. You can do this very special thing, which is forgive. And there's this open question that I've sort of refused to answer in one way or another, which is when is forgiveness appropriate? Part of the reason I've refused to answer is because different people say different things here. But, you know, I think the most plausible version of a view like this sees forgiveness as kind of, it's an option that we have to exercise. It's an option that sort of, you don't necessarily have to forgive. Maybe there are some times where you do have to forgive. We saw that last week where there, there's a kind of important strand of thought that sometimes forgive, not forgiving would be a sin. But there might be some cases where it's sort of, it is ultimately up to us sort of having both being angry and not being angry are both justified responses. But the other thing I would say, Chaya, to the therapy point, which I think is such an important one, which is that let's say you, you come into therapy and it's like, wow, you discover you have all this repressed anger. The point isn't just to like bring the anger out and see open and then you're done, right? The point is ultimately to like release it. So I think there's a certain amount of overlap between that goal Mm -hmm. and this like almost obligation, like if that's our understanding of what forgiveness is, and as Glenn just mentioned, we have an obligation towards forgiveness, which we saw last week in Jewish texts, you know, if you come three times and then the person doesn't forgive you, ultimately the person you refuse to forgive is themselves a sinner. Well, like, what is that sin? Maybe that sin is that like, they experienced their anger, they were, they, you know, it was right for them to have it, but they, they brought it out into the open, it's been discussed through this apology, and, and now it's time to, to like, do more work um, and, and do and, and, and actually release it. And, and they're not willing to do that work for whatever reason. So I do think that it can um, kind of be mapped on to, to that arc. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're asking that to like that second text in Maimonides where he's like, don't be a person who experiences anger. And you're like, well, what if I'm a person who experiences anger? Um, yeah, that's what I meant more was like the initial mm-hmm. emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say. You could say my mom just didn't know from therapy. That's for sure true, right? <laughs> um, but then you could also say, he would say, be the type of person who's so, maybe you could read it, and this is obviously just like a very 21st century read of this, but be the type of person who's so internally attuned that the minute you experience anger, you do that process. You're like, wow, I'm so angry right now. Okay, 
what do I do with this anger when I experience it? Okay. And then you, you move through that system very, very quickly. So you're not like, oh, I'm angry. Okay. Like, let's put the lid on that. It's no, I'm angry. Okay. Um, and then you figure out like a very safe way to release it very quickly. Um, and maybe that would be the Maimonides ideal through our like 21st century psychology. I don't know, maybe at least. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, I think you had a question before, right? Well, I was just going to, you know, put into the room for, for whatever it's worth, and it might be a little bit outside of this, our conversation, but, you know, how damaging angry, anger is, you know, how damaging anger that you can't let go of, um, and where for one's own self, one's own health, um, to let go of anger. And, I, I mean, for me, that's a very important part of the whole process, selfish one. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. As soon as, as if you have a perspective on forgiveness wherein it's about giving up anger, there's then all these reasons to forgive that stem from the role that anger plays in our life for better and for worse. So if anger is the sort of thing that sort of can wreck us from the inside, can destroy a relationship, is inimical to certain kinds of relating to another person, then you could have all of these sort of what you might think of as the consequences of getting rid of the anger, like those good consequences of healing of healing with another person or healing internally would be, you know, reasons to forgive on this sort of, on this sort of picture. Okay, thank you uh, so much, Professor White and Ravani Sarna for this interesting uh, second class in this series. Note that we will not meet next Monday, Labor Day, but we will be together again for the third class of this series on the following Monday, September 13th at 8 p.m. I also want to thank everyone who joined us today here on Zoom, on Drisha Live, and on Facebook. We will be live again tomorrow, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. with the second class uh, in, a, in a session on forgiveness and atonement in Jewish tradition. Um, philological and philosophical perspectives with Rabbi Zukir. In addition, you can find out more information as well as the registration links uh, on our website www.dresha.org slash classes or watch live at www.dresha.org slash live. We hope to see everyone again soon at one of our upcoming classes here at Dresha. Thank Have you. a Anasubha, everyone. Have a beautiful Anasubha. Anasubha. Bye. Bye. Bye.